0: The following message is by Dr. Cliff McManus, pastor teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship, located in Sunnyvale, California. Uh, The rest of us, we're going to be in the book of Acts. So let's go ahead and look at Acts chapter one. Those of you who aren't, maybe you're visiting, we've had some visitors today. So that's always fun to meet some visitors and new people. Glad you're here with us today. What we have been doing. Uh, We're going through the book of Acts, starting chapter one, verse one, and uh, we're going to go all the way through this great historical book that was given by God and the Holy Spirit to the church. Um, maybe if I could get my volume down just a tad, um, that would help. Um, so last week I did, for those of you who weren't here, I did an overview of my trip to Honduras where I trained uh, some pastors and their families in biblical apologetics. had a great time there. God blessed, answered prayer. So I did a PowerPoint on that last week. Uh, and the week before that, Jr. preached out of Matthew. So uh, it was... Three weeks ago, about where we left off in the book of Acts, finished chapter 1. So we thought we finished chapter 1, because it was three weeks ago where uh, we started verse, we went from 15 to uh, the end of the chapter, uh, about 26, and where uh, the the story there, this is before the day of Pentecost. This is the time between Jesus' ascension and Pentecost. And Peter, the head of the, or the spokesman of the 12 apostles, got up and spoke to the other apostles, minus Judas, as well as some faithful saints, a group of about 120 people. They'd been spending much time together during this uh, several-week period before the day of Pentecost, praying together, having fellowship together, worshiping in the temple publicly together. And then I believe the Spirit of God prompted Peter to stand up, take leadership, and speak for God and be obedient to God and His Word. And Peter said, the Scriptures needed to be fulfilled. The Old Testament, as God spoke through David, the prophet. Something needs to be fulfilled with respect to Judas, one of our own, one of the 12 apostles, who was our friend who served with us for three years, who became very tight knit in that community, who walked and talked with Jesus and the other 11 apostles in preparation for ministry and the building of the church. And Judas being entrusted with the finances of that little group as they Traveled together, probably the treasurer of the group, and all the way up until his last day of the Lord's Supper, the last supper with the Lord and the other apostles, uh, the other apostles thought Judas was one of their own, part of their family, a believer, uh, a legitimate follower of Christ. Yet Jesus knew he wasn't at that time, and Judas betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ, but he also betrayed his 11 brothers for money filthy lucre went out and felt guilt didn't really repent felt guilt knew that what he did was sinful and committed suicide hung himself and that was devastating to uh, the team that remained of 11 apostles they got over their devastation they were encouraged by the lord jesus first of all by his resurrection then his resurrection appearances over the course of several weeks to the uh, the remaining 11 apostles encouraging them and one of the encouragements was, yes, you lost, we lost one of our own Judas, but this was part of the plan of God. God knew about this. I knew about this, said Jesus is the Messiah. As a matter of fact, this apostasy of Judas fulfills scripture. It's in the Old Testament, or at least Jesus applies two very specific Psalms to Judas, what happened to him, his defection, his role, and now the needed replacement of Judas. And so that's what Peter's saying in Acts chapter 1, where we left off, and so Peter stands up, tells the other uh, 11 apostles, Scripture must be fulfilled. Uh, And that's in verse 16, Acts chapter 1, verse 16. Brethren, the Scripture had to be fulfilled. Well, how did the Scripture have to be fulfilled regarding Judas? Two ways. Number one, Scripture predicted that Judas would defect. That was not a surprise to God Almighty, the author of history. So his defection was prophesied. And then the second fulfillment was not only would he defect, but also scripture spoke that he needs to be replaced. Those are the two ways that scripture had to be fulfilled. That's what Peter's talking about in verse 16. Surprise to many, not a surprise to God. And so then Peter goes on and he quotes from Psalm 69, verse 25, one Psalm and Psalm 109. Very specifically saying where the scripture had to be fulfilled. That Judas would defect and that Judas needs to be replaced as one of the 12. And so they went before the Lord with formal prayer. And they used a mechanism that God had given the Israelites in the Old Testament called the casting of lots. It was a means of receiving direct revelation from God. Uh, The high priest would do it. Prophets would do it other israelites on occasion would do it we talked about that already and so that's what they did they prayed to the lord uh they pleaded with god they said god you know all hearts you know all things you know the scripture we're being mandated to fulfill the scripture we need to replace judas is one of the 12 and they laid they cast the lots and the lot fell on matthias out of the two candidates that they had were qualified and so that was that and then it says um that he was selected or elected by God. Matthias was chosen is your English translation. Matthias was chosen by the Lord. This is really important. This was not just some whim done on the fly spontaneously impetuously without prayer or the moving of god in the direction of the holy spirit because that's the way peter was he was fallen. he did his own thing with utter disregard for the will of god and he decided well you know let's pick somebody else. hey matthias i like you do you know that there are some people who actually believe that's the way this is supposed to be interpreted really i, I didn't know that that was surprised to me i've been i've preached through acts i've uh taught on acts many times over the course of almost 30 years and even been reading every commentary and get my hands up. so after reading like 30 to 40 commentaries on acts over the years uh it was about a year ago i was interacting with a pastor who graduated from the same seminary i did about 20 years ago and he was telling me that peter made a mistake in acts chapter 2 because i told him i was going to be preaching in acts probably uh, the next year so he just pointed out, for whatever reason, that Peter made a mistake in Acts chapter 2, verse 14 and following. When Peter said, and verse 16, when Peter said, uh, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And then Peter quotes scripture. This is on the day of Pentecost. Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's preaching to massive crowds. And Peter said, what's happening here on the day of Pentecost, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, is a fulfillment of Old Testament scripture from the prophet Joel. And so this fellow pastor that I'm talking to is telling me, well, actually, uh this isn't a fulfillment of Joel. I said, well, wait. It, verse 16 it says, this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And then he quotes from Joel. So you're saying that this is not a fulfillment of the prophet Joel, even though verse 16 says it was. And he said, yeah, that's right. So in other, so Peter was wrong. Is that what you're telling me? He said, yeah, actually. And he went further. He said, as a matter of fact, there, nothing that Peter mentions there is was fulfilled in his day. None of it happened. Oh, so Peter was wrong. Yeah. And he said, well, what's wrong with that? Peter was wrong all the time. It's Like, whoa. Give me an example. Well, Matthew, uh, Jesus confronted him and said, get behind me, Satan. Well, yeah, we know Peter was wrong there because Jesus made it clear. It's not the scripture doesn't say Peter was wrong here. Well, no, no, he was wrong. He was wrong here. He was wrong. None of this got fulfilled. Uh, Peter. Well, they give me some more examples of when Peter was wrong. And he mentioned several others. And one that he mentioned was, well, like in Acts chapter 1 when uh, peter impetuously replaced judas with matthias that was wrong i was like whoa seriously where'd you get that well obviously paul should have been there paul should have been the 12th apost- they should have replaced judas with paul I said you're kidding me let's look at the text so we read through this i'm thinking no this he's this is fulfillment of scripture he is being led by god he is the uh, authoritative spokesperson for the apostles and the disciples—that's—it's This is a, uh, affirmed by those disciples who are there. And you're telling me that it was a mistake. Peter was wrong to replace Judas with Matthias. He said, "Yes, absolutely." I said, "Wow, I have never heard that view before in my life," and I've been studying Acts for like 30 years. He said, "Oh, that's a very common and popular view. I'm surprised you haven't ever heard that before." Said, Whoa. Anyway, so this this actually turned into kind of one of those bitter disagreements in terms of theology that Paul and Barnabas had. I was just shocked one statement after the other. It's like, whoa. So you're telling me Peter uh is messing up, he is wrong, he's misleading people, uh he's wrong, even when in scripture looks like saying he's right. So it just went from bad to worse. And so I I I did some research and I was I still have yet to find a commentator who said that Peter was wrong in Acts chapter one by replacing Uh, Matthias over Judas. I I haven't found that anywhere. As a matter of fact, all the way from John Calvin in the 1500s, great uh, expositor of God's word, Calvin takes it at face value and says, Peter and the apostles, they did the right thing. They were led by God. This fulfilled scripture. Matthias is the man. Thank you, John Calvin, who's just dealing with scripture. So I don't know where that comes from. Uh, The reason I'm bringing all that up is because after the sermon uh, three weeks ago where I preached that 12 apostles there's a vacancy and matthias replaced judas i had several questions they were good questions uh several of you and not just on that sunday but throughout the week so there are 12 apostles matthias replaces judas then you go and read the new new testament and you got 13 epistles written by paul and it says paul an apostle of jesus christ so wait a minute if matthias replaced judas and there's 12 apostles Yet Paul is called an apostle of Jesus Christ. There's 13 apostles. So what about Paul? That's the natural logical question. If Matthias replaced Judas, then what about Paul? So that was actually the question I had here three weeks ago. And I probably spent an hour in here with different groups of people as I was walking towards the back door answering that same question over and over again. And then I got it again uh, throughout the week. And I thought, you know what? We, we have to address this issue. Because I can't remember the last time I had so many questions on the same topic that was very specific. And I thought it would be very helpful before we go on to chapter 2 to answer that question because it it demands an answer. And there's value in looking at it. So that's what I want to do. So uh, we're going to actually go through these uh, stream of 11 highlighted points in your outline and answering the question, well, what about Paul the apostle? Since Matthias replaced Judas, where does Paul fit? Shouldn't he be? the 12th apostle. And then if you keep studying in your Bible, if you if you have a Bible, turn to Revelation twenty-one fourteen, because this is really demands that we answer this question. By the way, this is not just an academic exercise in something secondary or tangential that doesn't matter. And at the end of the sermon, I'm going to tell you why this is really important uh, for us as believers to study this and come up with an answer to see if God answers this question. Revelation 21 is a prophecy of the future of eternity. What eternity is going to be like it's going to be glorious. It's going to be perfect. And there's going to be a, a new heavenly city called the new heavenly Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven prepared by God. All believers will get to live and dwell there. Uh, no more sin, no more sadness, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more curse. It's just going to be absolutely glorious. It's a physical entity, physical place. Spiritual, it's eternal, yet it's material. And John uh, is able to describe some of the highlights of this new Jerusalem where we will live. This will be our home. So you probably, if you're a Christian, this is your future home. Some of the glorious details, verse 14 of Revelation 21 and the wall, it'll have a wall. Imagine that a wall around the city, the wall of the city, get this, had 12 foundation stones. They're huge. They are permanent. They will be there maybe for all eternity. Foundation stones and on The stones will be written, the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. There it is, the 12 apostles. Okay, wait a minute. So is that Matthias on there, or does Paul get one of the stones? That's a natural question. And uh, I would propose, and I think as we go through the scriptures here, we're going to see, I think, clearly what the answer is. So go back to Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at several different scriptures as we go. Uh, trying to answer this question, what about the role of the Apostle Paul? How does he fit into the 12 Apostles? So before we get to number one, just very important foundational note to take uh, into consideration, and that's the word apostle. So some of the folks who are confused about this, they see the word apostle. Wait a minute, isn't Barnabas called an apostle in the New Testament? Wait, isn't James, the brother of the Lord, called an apostle? Wait, in 2 Corinthians 8, aren't some of the associates of the Apostle Paul called apostles, apostolos? Yeah. And also, there's a passage there that calls the brothers of the Lord Jesus, I think it's 1 Corinthians 9, calls the brothers of the Lord apostles. The brothers of the Lord are the half-brothers of Jesus who didn't believe while he was on earth, but they believed later like Jude, James, a couple others. So... Uh, apparently, Jesus's half brothers were later designated and called apostles. And then you got uh, the twelve apostles with Jesus and the gospels. And then you got Paul, who's called an apostle. And uh, so you've got a lot of designations regarding apostle. So there's a lot of confusion on it. It's practical for us today because there are churches, some which are evangelical and preach the gospel, that say there are p- apostles today. As a matter of fact, some of these churches claim to have apostles. Uh, sovereign Grace uh, denomination or affiliation would be one well-known evangelical church affiliation that preaches the gospel has good music good stuff they put out. they believe in modern day apostles and they even can identify some of the people who are apostles uh, but i think that's an under misunderstanding of scripture that's why this is so important to clarify this so when it comes to the word apostle every time you see the word apostle or apostolos uh, it doesn't mean the same thing the meaning is always determined by the context that's rule number one of hermeneutics and biblical interpretation that's where people get messed up all the time so just because you have the same word occurring in different passages you can't assume it means the same thing all the time as a matter of fact the word apostolos uh, where we get the word apostle it has at least seven different meanings that i know of seven the word apostolos was used Uh, for hundreds of years before the greek new testament came along and it was just a common word in the vernacular Apostle, it just meant ambassador ambassador or envoy we use that today in american government we have ambassadors for certain countries it's not religious it is not spiritual that's the way the term was originally used an ambassador so it's not just a messenger it is an ambassador representing somebody else with some authority delegated authority they're representing the person they're there for Uh, so that's the original term that's Then the New Testament does this many times. It'll take a a word that was common to all the people in the Greek-speaking world. Everybody spoke in New Greek, just about. The Romans, uh, everywhere. The whole then-known world had been Hellenized, meaning Greek culture, Greek language. So this was a very common word. Everybody, no matter where Paul went, everybody could relate to the term apostolos. Everybody knew the word. Oh, that's an ambassador. It's an, an envoy, a representative of another authority, usually a higher authority. Oh, okay. So... Then the New Testament uh, many times takes those common words and changes the meaning, adds a nuance, usually adds a spiritual nuance to it, very significant. And it becomes fine-tuned, and then it becomes, uh, as it's used more and more in the New Testament, very precise, very technical. And there's a development of the word, a historical development that is true of any word. It, they all have a historical development. That is true of apostolos. So even though there are seven different meanings of the word apostolos, one of those meanings is non-religious, non-spiritual, it is strictly secular. That word is not used in the New Testament, but six different words for apostolos are, apostolos are used in the New Testament. They're different, different nuances referring to different people. Uh, so you've got to keep that in mind. So when it says Paul's an apostle, you can't automatically equate that with the 12 apostles. You can't do that. Context has to determine the meaning. So real quick, here are the six different ways that apostolos is used in the New Testament. Number one, uh, 2 Corinthians 8.23. It refers to representatives of the churches. That's what the phrase says in 2 Corinthians 8.23. 2 Corinthians 8.23 in the NASB says. Paul's writing. As for our brothers, and he's, he's not referring to the 12 apostles, he's just talking about faithful men in the church. <clears throat> As for our and associates of Paul, a select few. As for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches notice it didn't say apostles it said messengers but the greek word is apostoloi, exact same word for apostle but the new american standard translated translated as messenger the new king james uh, translates apostolos as messenger king james translates it as messenger and the esv translates it not as apostle but messenger so there's a perfect example of the word apostolos not referring to the 12 apostles and then the NIV translates apostolos as representatives. And it's a legitimate, it's actually the, the right translation so that we don't get confused. Oh, these are just representatives, envoys, ambassadors of the churches of a different category than the 12 apostles. Clearly different group of people. So that's one usage. A second usage, Jesus is called an apostle in Hebrews 3.1. Jesus! He's not one of the twelve apostles. He's not the apostle to the Gentiles. Hebrews through, he is a representative of God the Father from heaven. Number three, apostolos is used in reference to false apostles, messengers of Satan, wicked, evil, impostors, human beings who masqueraded as apostles. So, apostolos is used a couple of times in reference to false apostles. So, there's three different uses of the word apostolos already. A fourth usage is what I'm going to call a generic use of the word apostolos with reference to early church leaders that were significant. James, the half-brother of the Lord and the leader of the Jerusalem church, and James's other brothers, Jude, who wrote the epistle of Jude, and a couple of other Jesus' brothers. That's Galatians 119, 1 Corinthians 9.5. So that's a fourth category of the way the word apostolos is used. A uh, fifth different way that apostolos is used is with reference to Paul, Repeating this Galatians 2 8 and uh, Romans eleven other places, 1 Timothy 2, Paul said he was an apostle to the Gentiles. Very important. That is totally different than the twelve of Jesus. I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I'm an apostle to the Gent Galatians two, Paul is very specific. Uh, God has selected Peter to be the apostle to the circumcised, the Jews. God has selected me to be different. I am an apostle to the Gentiles. So that's a fifth category or different use of apostolos. And then finally, number six usage of the word apostolos is for the 12, the 12, the 12, the 12. Those were the 12 that were hand-selected by Jesus. In Matthew chapter 10, Luke chapter 6, prayed all night long. He had hundreds of disciples who had been following him. He prayed to the Father, Father, show me which 12 I need to select out of these disciples to become my formal envoys, the 12 apostles. And so Matthew 10 and Luke use the very phrase. And the 12 apostles names were. And then their names are given. So there is no mistake. And there are only 12 positions. And then The the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all use that phrase, the 12, the 12, the 12. Sometimes it says the 12 apostles. Sometimes it says the apostles. And in the Gospel of John, John never uses the word apostle for some reason. But he does say the 12 at least four times. And he's talking about the apostles, the 12, the 12, the 12, the 12. So after you read the four Gospels, the ministry of Jesus, you clearly understand there are 12 and there are only 12. They were handpicked by Jesus. They were hand-trained by Jesus. And they are called the 12, and the 12 becomes a specific, narrow, closed, technical, designated reference to a specific entity and community of representatives of Jesus. And there won't be 13. And according to Psalm 69 and 109, there can't be 11. And we talked about this last time. At the end of Jesus' ministry, he spent over two years with these 12 apostles, invested all of his time, energy, energy, Training, modeling, relationship, love, rebuke into these men who would be the foundation of the church. And he encouraged them and he said, uh, as they're, he's about to die and leave them. And he, he gives them a blessing. He gives them a promise. He gives them a, a coming reward. And basically he says, because of your faithfulness, the twelve of you will be sitting on twelve thrones in the future kingdom, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. 12. Matthew 19. Very specific. So there had to be 12. And Peter knows that. The apostles know that. Wow, we lost one. Judas, he was with us. He was a part of us. He received that promise just 50 days ago from Jesus. We only have 11. We need 12. Oh, the scripture says there needs to be 12. And so uh, that's why the scripture had to be fulfilled. And so they picked Matthias. He was qualified. The main qualification was he had to be with and among the apostles of Jesus from the time of the ministry of John the Baptist up until the crucifixion and resurrection. That was a qualification. The apostle Paul was not around the 12 apostles and Jesus from the time of John the Baptist till the crucifixion and resurrection. Paul was not even saved. And after the church started, he became a persecutor, an enemy of the church. Paul persecuted the 12 apostles. He didn't get saved for at least five years after Pentecost. He was not one of the 12. So when it comes to solving some of the apparent discrepancies we see in the Bible, a lot of times it has to do with word usage. A lot of times skeptics will criticize the Bible or the Christian. They'll try to, as you're interacting with an unbeliever, a skeptic, an atheist, agnostic, someone who's critical, many times they'll try to point out inconsistencies in the Bible. They have pointed out this apparent inconsistency. Ah, the Bible's got errors. Well, what do you mean it's got errors? Ah, it's full of contradictions. What do you mean it's full of contradictions? Give me one. Well, right here, uh, Peter said that the 12th apostle should be Matthias, and yet God said Paul should be. Like, whoa, a lot of Christians get stumbled. They don't know what to do with that. Wow, is that a contradiction? No, it's not a contradiction. That's uh, the skeptic or critic totally misrepresenting and misunderstanding what the Bible clearly says. So let's go ahead and look at these 12 points. It's just a survey and overview, and hopefully this will bring it all together, tie it together, and answer these questions. So how does Paul relate to the 12 apostles? Number one, foundational truth, Jesus chose 12 apostles. Jesus chose 12 apostles. I put some references there. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 70, Jesus said to the 12 apostles, he said, I chose you, the 12. That's what he said. Not 11, not 13. I chose you, the 12. There's that technical phrase. It's 12. And then at the end of the verse, he said, uh, and yet one of you is the devil. Yet one of you is the devil. So Jesus knew there would be a defector, and he knew it would be Judas. Number two. So Jesus chose 12 apostles. Jesus promised, quote, the 12, a special promise. Luke twenty two thirty, Matthew 19, 28 is more specific. Matthew 19, 28, where Jesus told him, you 12, the 12 apostles will sit on 12 thrones in the future in the kingdom, ruling over the 12 tribes of Israel. And by the way, it's not a coincidence that there were 12 apostles, as it is quoted in the same verses, the 12 tribes of Israel. There is a direct correspondence for a reason. There had to be 12 because it corresponds directly to the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 tribes of Israel basically encompass the entire entity of God's people in the Old Testament. The 12 apostles are the representatives of God's people in the New Testament church. The foundation of the church was built on the apostles. But there is a a direct correspondence. Uh, So Jesus promised the 12, a special promise. There had to be 12. Number three, uh, the Old Testament predicted... Uh, One of the apostles of the 12 would defect. Uh, We already saw that in Acts 1.16. It was prophesied by David a 1,000 years before it happened. That's amazing. A 1,000 years before Judas defected, God predicted he would defect in the Psalms. And I already mentioned that Jesus knew there would be a defection because when he said, I chose you, the 12, and then, Chapter 6, verse 71 of the Gospel of John, Jesus said, and one of you is a devil. And then it says, and John explains, Jesus was referring to Judas because Jesus knew Judas would defect. John 6, verse 70. So the Old Testament predicted one of the apostles would defect. Number four, uh, the Old Testament required the one defecting apostle to be replaced. And so that was Peter's whole point as he got up and spoke. Now, somebody was telling me um, it wasn't even that pastor. Somebody else didn't believe this view. I said, well, Peter got up and he he spoke to the people and said that Scripture needed to be fulfilled. And so he was speaking for God and said, no, he wasn't speaking for God because Peter wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit yet because Pentecost hadn't come yet. So Peter did nothing but make mistakes in chapter 1. It's not till chapter 2 Peter gets straightened out. That was what I was told. I was like, "Uh, I don't think so. Jesus said in Matthew 18... Not long before he would get, leave his apostles and, uh, Peter was with the apostles and Jesus and telling Jesus, and then Jesus asked, well, who do men say that I am? And, uh, Peter said, well, they say you're this prophet and that prophet and this prophet. And then Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus loved that answer. Peter, that, that is awesome. Amen. And Peter, keep in mind, you didn't come up with that on your own. No human being told you that. It was my Father in heaven who revealed that to you. That is divine revelation that you just spoke. And it is true. And then shortly thereafter, Peter put his foot in his mouth and Jesus had to pull him aside and rebuke him and get behind me, Satan. So there were times where Peter presumptuously spoke and there were times where he was moved by the Spirit of God. But in chapter 1... Peter is being moved by the God. But anyway, in in that passage in Matthew, uh, then in chapter 18, it's about the same time. And Jesus goes back again to the apostles talking about the church. And he told Peter, uh, Peter, I'm going to build my church. Uh, That's chapter 16 of Matthew. Then in Matthew 18... Uh, He talks about, and then the church needs to be disciplined. There's going to be sin in the church. And so the leadership of the church needs to implement discipline and care and management of the church. And that's where Jesus lays out the fourfold pattern of church discipline to maintain uh, the purity and the unity of his church. And and he told Peter and the apostles, and I delegate, I'm going to give you the authority to do discipline in the church. You have delegated. So what you bind on earth shall be bound on earth from God almighty in heaven. You have the authority to do that. And so Peter just heard that truth. He's speaking for the apostles here in Acts chapter 1. They are dealing really with a discipline issue or finalizing, and that was Judas who's disciplined out of their group of 12. And I believe this is a fulfillment of the promise that God made in Matthew 16, Matthew 18 regarding Peter having legitimate authority with the apostles to speak for God on a discipline issue, delegated authority regarding the replacement of Judas. Peter was not being sinfully, narrow-mindedly impetuous in this. He's fulfilling a scriptural mandate. So very important to keep that in mind. And so the Old Testament required Judas to be replaced. Number five, it wasn't Peter alone who selected Matthias. Uh, They got input. It was objective in terms of the qualifications. Here are the qualifications for the replacement. It is in Scripture, in the Old Testament, so that's a qualification. This must take place. Uh, Whoever we choose, it had to be somebody who, verse 21 of chapter 1, first it says a man. It has to be a male individual. can't be a female, Uh, verse 21. It's a, a male who needed to have accompanied us all the time that we were with the Lord Jesus from the beginning of John's baptism until he was taken up at the Ascension. So it had to be somebody who was present. And apparently Matthias and the other candidate were people who were around the apostles from the time of John the Baptist to the Ascension. The apostle Paul was not there. So they had objective qualifications. And so these two men came forward, Joseph and uh, Sabbath, And this is where they entrust Almighty God himself. In verse 23, they put these two candidates forward, just uh, Matthias. And it says they prayed. This wasn't thoughtless. They prayed. And they said to God, you, Lord, you, Lord, usually the word Lord refers to Jesus in the book of Acts, if not every single time, by the way, the father is usually God. The Lord usually refers to Jesus. This could be an example of the apostles praying directly to Jesus. Lord, because after all, who chose the first 12 apostles? Acts chapter one, verse two says Jesus had chosen the apostles. And that's true. So because Jesus chose the first 12, then Jesus needs to choose the replacement of Judas. And so that is the word used here, chosen. Lord, verse 24, you know the hearts of all men. You know the heart of Barsabbas. You know the heart of Matthias. So show us, show us which one of these two that you have chosen. And the lot fell to Matthias. So God is the one, the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who chose Matthias. Hence, number five, God chose Judas's replacement. Number six, Matthias is considered one of, quote, the 12. So they choose Matthias, and then immediately he's identified as one of the group of apostles because in Acts chapter 2, there's the day of Pentecost happens. Peter starts preaching, and then in Acts chapter 2, verse 14, as Peter's preaching the gospel to this massive crowd of people, it says, Peter taking his stand, get this, with the 11. There's another technical phrase. Peter is with the 11 apostles. Peter plus the 11, that is 12, the 11. So now Matthias is already on the day of Pentecost considered formally a part of the 12. That is not a mistake that they chose. He is one of the 11. And then in the same chapter, uh, later in the chapter, Acts chapter 2, It says in verse 37, now, when they heard Peter's sermon, it was amazing. It was the gospel. It was convicting. It brought guilt. And they cried out, what should we do? They knew they had been sinful and crucified, the Lord of glory. Peter, in response, said in verse 37, now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. They were convicted. And they said, get this, to Peter and the rest of the apostles. So the rest of the apostles includes Matthias. He is recognized clearly at this time as one of the 12. And then it goes on and uses uh, the phrase, of the apostles in verse 43 and following the uh, doctrine of the apostles. And then finally, in Acts chapter six, verse two, this is before Paul is even saved. Uh, the church is growing. It is exploding. It's a mega church. Uh, the apostles and the elders are overwhelmed with trying to manage all this. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1 says, And now at this time the disciples were increasing in number. A complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food at the fellowship meal. I added that, fellowship meal. And get this, verse 12. So the 12. Well, who are the 12? Where does that come from? That comes right out of the Gospels. The 12. The 12. The 12. The 12. That's not Paul. The 12. Revelation 21, 14. The 12 that will be on the 12 stones in heaven for all eternity. The 12 that includes Matthias, who was just selected. Peter didn't make a mistake. The 12 summoned the congregation, And throughout the rest of the book, you got the apostles, the apostles, the apostles. And it's always in reference to Matthias as one of the 12. So totally legitimate. And you know, it, what's sad is that as far as I know, as I study church history, it wasn't until the 1900s where it was actually okay and couth for professing Christians and even, get this, pastors and Bible teachers to take cheap pot shots at authors of the Bible. I mean, early as the 1950s and 60s, evangelicals accusing the Apostle Paul of hating women, of being in error, of saying things that weren't of God that are recorded in Scripture, as he says it, as an apostle. Yeah, well, Paul, he hated women. Oh, Paul, he had this weakness. Oh, Paul, he didn't know. Oh, Paul, he made a mistake. And you start hearing that for the first time from evangelical Christians in about the 1960s. And it just got worse. And it is mushroomed out of control. And so today, many evangelicals, Christians, people who profess to believe in the Bible, have no problem criti- criticizing the Bible and criticizing, oh, Peter, pfft, uh, he was wrong. That prophecy didn't get fulfilled. Oh, Peter is wrong. Oh, Luke messed up. Uh, John made an error. Oh. Uh, Paul, he didn't know what he's talking about. Oh, he was fine. At, oh, uh, no, Adam wasn't really real because Paul in Romans 5, he didn't have access to the kind of science we do today. So, yeah, he had good intentions. and But anyway, God used his mistake or his short-sightedness anyway, and it doesn't matter. It's like, yeah, it does matter. You're undermining the Bible. So that is just common affair today. For 1,800 years in church history, if you ever did that, you were just labeled uh, a heretic. You don't do that to the Bible. You don't undermine his word. You don't undermine the veracity and the integrity of God's Scripture. What the Bible says, God says. And so the church knew for 1,800 years how sacred, holy, and important, and foundational that was. And it's just seems to be crumbling at a rapid rate ever since then. So that's just a warning. It's out there. I see it everywhere all the time. It's frightening. Then I just keep going to... Those prophecies in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy where Paul warned, in the last days, perilous times will come. And part of that is false teachers infiltrating everywhere, everything, church and Christian were there. Going back to number 6, Matthias is considered one of the 12 clearly uh, number 12, Paul was an apostle, though, no doubt. 1 Corinthians 1, just about in every epistle that Paul wrote, there's 13 of them, Paul designated him, himself as an apostle. Paul, like to the Romans, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and an apostle. Now, this is years later. Uh, one of the first two books that Paul wrote would be Galatians and Thessalonians. So you're looking about 50 A.D. So this is like 17 years after Jesus left. The first time in writing that we know of Paul is calling himself an apostle. And it was legitimate. And he says it in every one of his epistles. We saw in 1 Corinthians how he defended the fact that he was an apostle because many of the Corinthians were criticizing. Oh, you're not an apostle. You weren't even around for five years when the apostles started the church. You persecuted the church. You were killing Christians. You're not an apostle. That's what they were doing. Christians in the Corinthian church were taking Paul on, head on. And so he defends himself for like two chapters in 1 Corinthians and the entire book in 2 Corinthians is like a defense (laughs) of Paul. Paul, you're getting defensive. Well, he's led by the Holy Spirit of God to defend himself because he was commissioned by Christ as an apostle. Paul's kind of funny. Uh, So, sorry about that. Let me get a... Oh, there we go. We're back on. Okay, good. First uh, Corinthians 59. Paul said, I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle. Why, why did he say that? Because he was a persecutor of the church. He used to kill Christians. So he just... He's still got this guilt. I'm not even fit to be called an apostle uh, because I per- persecuted the church of God. I'm the least of the apostles. And then in Second Corinthians, he says this, verse 5. For I consider myself not in the least inferior to the most eminent apostles. So... Yeah, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not qualified. I mean, I shouldn't be an apostle. I'm qualified because Jesus called me. But at the same time, because I am an apostle, I am not in the least inferior to Peter. I have equal authority with Peter and all the other apostles. So he's got that balance. And then in 2 Corinthians, he sounds conflicted. He almost sounds schizophrenic. Listen to this one, 2 Corinthians 12, 11. In my respect, uh, I was, oh, I was in no respect was I inferior to the most eminent apostles even though I am a nobody. I am just as qualified as Peter, yet I'm a nobody. I am just as authoritative as all the 12 apostles, yet I am the greatest of all sinners, First Timothy chapter 1. So he knew he was an apostle not because he deserved it. He worked for it. He was worthy of it. None of that. He knew he was a pathetic, wicked sinner. The only reason he was an apostle, because Jesus called him, set him apart to be one. It's amazing. God uses cracked vessels to do good, doesn't he? Does that, we're all cracked pots, by the way. Cracked pots. And we carry God's water of goodness and the gospel wherever we go. And we're all crooked sticks. And God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick, right? And that's what he did with these weak, inferior apostles. So Paul had the proper attitude about himself, but he knew this, this was delegated authority. He was accountable for it. He could be judged by God for it. He has to stand before the throne of Christ and how he wielded and used this authority. He knew that he could be disqualified from this role as apostle. He said that very clearly. And yet he remained faithful to the end, just before he died. In 2 Timothy, I, I ran the race. I finished the course. By God's grace, I remained faithful. And there's a reward that waits for me. We're going to see that. So Paul was an apostle. Clearly, number eight, Paul was not one of the 12 apostles. We've established that clearly. He was unique. He was the apostle to the Gentiles saved later, number nine. This is a part of uh, eight and nine kind of go together. He wasn't one of the 12 apostles, but he was a unique apostle. He even had different qualifications because one of the qualifications for the 12 was one of the 12 had to be with Jesus from the time of John the Baptist to the Ascension. Paul didn't qualify in that regard. That was to be qualified as one of the 12 apostles. Paul didn't meet that qualification, so he had to be a different kind of apostle. He was an apostle to the Gentiles. He had other qualifications that the other apostles had. He had to have the gift of apostleship to be qualified to be an apostle, according to 1 Corinthians 12 and other passages. So Paul had the gift of apostleship. You, uh, you, he had the marks of authority as seen in 2 Corinthians 12, 12. The signs of an apostle, the marks of an apostle are signs, wonders, and mighty deeds. Only the apostles could do some of these amazing, mighty deeds and miracles. That was the qualification of an apostle. The 12 apostles had that. Barnabas, James, Jesus' half-brothers, and Paul had that 2 Corinthians 12, 12 qualification. And then apostles had very specific duties. They were receptacles of divine revelation. The apostles laid the foundation of the church. We don't have apostles today. The foundation has been laid. Oh, and you had to be called, most importantly, you had to be called personally by the Lord Jesus Christ to be an apostle, and you had to see. The resurrected Christ. Paul saw the resurrected Christ many times and was called by Jesus himself and set apart to be an apostle, but an apostle to the Gentiles. So he was a unique apostle. He knew that. And a lot of times he, he got flack for it because people, who's this guy? Johnny come lately. He's not Peter. We know about Peter. Peter had a massive, great reputation. Uh, he's not a Paul. He doesn't, he's not as eloquent as a Paul. Who is this guy? Wait, isn't this the guy that used to persecute the church? Can we trust him? He looks funny. That's in Galatians. He looks funny. Uh, number ten. The twelve apostles will be honored in a special way. We read that in Revelation twenty one fourteen with, in those eternal stones on the new city. I believe Matthias's name will be there. Paul's name probably won't be there. Uh, and then number eleven. Well, what what about Paul? Doesn't he get a reward? Absolutely. He does. So we'll close there. Go to Second Timothy 4. So, you know, Paul, faithful church planter for decades. Uh, he, he even said, we saw this, how he said he worked, as far as he knew, he worked harder, more physically, endured more labor than the other apostles. He wasn't boasting. He was just stating a fact. That's what... Jesus told him that in the book of Acts when he called him. Okay, Paul, I'm going to call you. I'm going to use you. And, man, you are going to be in pain. Your ministry is going to be hard. That's what Jesus said when he called Paul. It's Like, yikes. And two decades later, that turned out to be true. Many hardships. Just read the book of 2 Corinthians. But he was faithful to the end. And Paul gave so much to us. He he gave us 13 epistles. And and most of the mysteries about uh, the church and the church age are given by Paul. Just amazing stuff, and then at the end of his life, second Timothy, actually that passage that Derek read earlier was beautiful as well, talking about his ministry and his character, and here he's ending his his life on earth um, talks about how he's been abandoned by many people, so-called friends second uh, Timothy chapter four, verse seven and eight I've fought the good fight. Actually, we'll start before that, verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, Uh, meaning he was being sacrificed for the good of God's glory. His death was imminent. That's what he means. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. My departure to heaven. I'm leaving. It's not, didn't see his death. My departure, I'm going home. I'm going to glory. I'm going to be with Jesus. I've fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept The faith. And then this was revealed to him by the Spirit of God that there would be a special reward for Paul in the future. There is laid up for me. I think it's very personal. Something very special set aside for Paul. Because there are degrees of reward and degrees of consequences in the afterlife. There are degrees of reward based on our faithfulness to what God has given us in this life. It's all good if you're a believer. There's not going to be any complaining. Well, mine is shorter than yours. Yours has more gold and glitter than mine. That's not going to happen. It's thank you, Lord Jesus. I don't even deserve this, probably. But whatever it is, I think it's really special for Paul. Verse 8, in the future, there's laid up for me in heaven the crown of righteousness. A crown. A crown of righteousness. Something very specific is going to be given to Paul to bless him. Um, that he 's going to be able to enjoy for all eternity whatever it is, I think it 's going to be something physical that we can actually see that maybe even designates Paul as Paul, boy, he was the unique, amazing, faithful uh, apostle to the Gentiles. Thank you, Paul, for all these wonderful mysteries that you helped me understand in my lifetime and uh, what a glory a special crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge that 's Jesus. Will award to me on that. There's going to be an award ceremony, and next in line, the Apostle Paul. Come on now, da 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 da. And I think we're all going to be there. It's going to be awesome. The angels, woo hoo, Paul! Yeah, go get him. You deserve it. And then somebody else said, "No, he doesn't." But anyway, he'll get it anyway. So the Lord Jesus is going to bless Paul, reward Paul, commend Paul. This is going to be public. On that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his every single Christian. If you are a Christian today, you know, Jesus Christ, you are going to be rewarded on that day. You're going to be blessed by God, commended publicly, well done, good and faithful servant. I believe that every Christian gets into heaven will be commended with well done, uh, faithful servant because they know Christ. But there will be those degrees of reward that we get in heaven based on our faithfulness now. So. In the meantime, we just, we got to continue to pray to God, God, help me, empower me, uh, give me grace to be faithful to fulfill the commission that you've given to me, regardless of what kind of light bulb you are, whether you're a 100-watt light bulb or 75 or a 32-watt light bulb. 32 still gives off light that's necessary. So God just calls us to be faithful how he's made us and where we are. And with that on our hearts, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day and the time together to be with the saints. Thank you for the treasure of your word, the scripture, the Bible, the living word of God that is food for our soul, that is life for sinners. It is perfect. It is without error. We know that, Lord. And Father, we thank you for the testimony of Jesus who said scripture cannot be broken. Everything must be fulfilled. We live by it. Thank you for the confidence that we have, even when we have... um, so called discrepancies we can't maybe understand. God, continue to give us wisdom. Lead us. Help us to not question your word, but grow ever more in our confidence of your truth. For when scripture speaks, you speak. Thank you for the prospect of rewards from you in heaven, Lord Jesus, as the judge. Remind us of that continually, that we might be motivated with a holy motivation to serve you, to persevere, to plug on, to not give up. Knowing you're watching us, we serve you and only you, and we give you all the glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. Dr. McManus is an author, seminary professor, and pastor-teacher of Grace Bible Fellowship. For more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, please visit our website at gbfsv.org or call us at 650-630-0009.